went with the Liberals because I believed in the values of the dignity and worth of every individual, you know, the importance of the family, uh, you know, freedom of choice, freedom of conscience, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, risk, uh, you know, reward for effort, et cetera. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think it's a secret to many of your listeners. I've had a few issues with our inability to uphold those values in the three years that I've been a senator, um, which I find very difficult. Um, because, you know, I, I believe that if we say we're going to do something and we have these values, we've got to be seen to fight for those values. We might not always win the argument, but sometimes I think it's better to lose the arguments but stand, stand on your values than, than cave in um, and, and slowly the goalposts uh, move further to the... Or not the goalposts, but the outcomes move further to the left or we appease the left um, in order to get an outcome that, you know, might be a short-term gain for a, a loss of long-term... Uh, but the fate of sitting members depends on electors in the cities and those who come many miles and buy varied forms of transport to vote in outlying booths in country towns. Still in New South Wales, they can quench their thirst as hotels are open for the first time on election day. What hasn't high school uh, told us, or even primary school, uh, taught us about elections. How does Australian democracy work? I, I remember I was a year or two into this and uh, I won't name names or, or genders, but one of my family members asked me what the Senate does. Um, and I'm like, how do you be my family <laughs> and not know this? I, I, I'm guilty, but um, certainly our education system's guilty. So without commenting on the education system, how does democracy work at a federal election uh, and parliament uh, in Australia? Well, okay, first of all, democracy is all about power to the people. So, you know, four or 500 years ago, we had the Reformation and then the Enlightenment. And one of the great things about the Enlightenment was that, you know, basically we had this overthrow of the kings whereby power was handed down, you know, through hereditary sources or sometimes through a lot of violence where kingdoms were overthrown. Um, and to a lesser degree, that still happens today. And let's hope that it, it stays at a lesser degree, not a, a higher degree. Um but, you know, the, the key thing about democracy is it is, is obviously the voting process. But to me, it's more than that. It's about empowering individuals as much as possible. Um, and in many ways, we've seen the disempowering of individuals over the last 30 to 40 years, um, whereby we've had the government march on into the family home, the classroom and the bedroom, telling people how to live their lives rather than letting people choose how they live their lives. Um, and at the same time, those governments have marched out of the, the, the you know, the power stations and the dam building and off the trains and everything and have sold all those assets um, and sovereign assets at that uh, to private corporations who are no longer accountability. So democracy in a nutshell to me is empowering the individual, number one, and making sure that government is accountable, number two, and not necessarily in that order, but um, both very important issues. And we've seen a real roading of that uh, over the last 30 or 40 years, in my view. And, and that... Uh, 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 unfortunately, has led to a real uh, mistrust, a lack of trust or a decline in trust in both governments uh, and, in, and in many other institutions, for example, like our doctors over this recent uh, vaccine rollout. Um, so that's where we're at there on a general purpose. Obviously, in Australia, we have 151 uh, lower house members uh, and they you know, serve a particular area of Australia. Um, and then in the upper house, we have the Senate. There's 76 senators. So there's 12 senators from each state and two from each of the territories. Um, in a normal half Senate or in a normal election, you'll have a half Senate election where six of the 12 senators go up for re-election. Uh, in order to be win a seat back, uh, either yourself or the party that you represent has to win 14, about 14.3% of the vote. 
um, to, to secure a seat in the Senate. And effectively, the Senate uh, has to pass a bill. So if a bill gets passed in the lower house, it also has to be passed uh, by the upper house as well. Um, the Senate also has the power to block ministers' um, regulations where it's a, an allowable instrument. So there's two types of laws in this country. One's legislation that's passed by parliament and then there's regulations that's basically decided by uh, the relevant minister of the day. Now, there's two types of regulations. There's that which is disallowable and there's um, that which is allowable. And the Senate has the power also to stop allowable um, uh, regulations from the minister as well. And that does happen from time to time. Um, so I guess that's, that's the way democracy works in a nutshell. I'm of the opinion that the Senate has wandered from its purpose a little bit, that it's meant to be the state's house and, and a house of review to disallow bills, regulations and legislation, which uh, are contrary to the interest of the people of the state or territory that they represent. Uh, is there a conflict of interest when a senator also holds a portfolio? Now, as an example, I will probably cite Matt Canavan, one of the champions that definitely, I think, deserves support in this federal election. But I also noticed that there's been a marked change in his ability to speak out on any given issue, the pros, cons, the merits, uh, the myths, um, since the, um, the citizenship uh, debacle where he lost his portfolio and, and basically had to justify his position but never got his portfolio back. Uh, do you think there's a a understandable allegiance to the government when or, or to the opposition to the cabinet when when a uh, senator holds a portfolio? Yeah, oh, look, there is to a degree, but it's the same for lower house members as well. I mean, they have a similar conflict of interest, um, and you can apply that. If I own a house, do I have a conflict of interest in not wanting interest rates to go up, or do I have a conflict of interest in what not not wanting capital gains on? you know, uh, a tax on a capital gains from the sale of my house. So, you know, sometimes there's a conflict of interest and often uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes there's a common interest. And uh, I, I sometimes think conflict of interest gets confused with a common interest. Uh, my view is, um, as a senator, I have to be honest here, and I might you know, shoot myself in the foot, but I am actually here to serve the people. As I just said, democracy is all about empowering the individual um, and holding, holding um, government to account. Now, Obviously, I'm a proud Queenslander and I'll put Queensland interests first, but I think the best way to put Queensland interests first is also to put Australia's interests first. First, sorry. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, this, look, look, I'll be honest. If it, if it was left to me, I'd burn the Constitution and start again, quite frankly. Um, it's outdated. It's been completely eroded. That's by, horrific. We're no longer friends. Yeah, <laughs> yeah cool. It, it's been completely destroyed by high court um, judgments. Uh, and the idea that we have states, um, power comes from the states. We, we've just seen with COVID that the state, the, the, the state premiers now do nothing but just point the finger at um, at the federal government. So we've got this, you know, and, and I actually mentioned it in my maiden speech. I said there's nothing more damaging to this country than the ambiguous responsibilities and, and fiscal imbalance between the state and federal government. It is a complete dog's breakfast. And I said that prior to the bushfires, I said it prior to COVID, and I've said in prior to Lismore floods. If I was the Prime Minister when those Lismore floods occurred and the, the Premier's turned around to me or the New South Wales Premier turned around and pointed the finger at Canberra, Canberra, I would have just brought the military in and said, right, you guys, you know what? I'm sick and tired of being blamed for all this stuff. The states are responsible for emergency services. You know what? I'll get the army to do it. I'm going to start an engineering corps within the army. 
we'll build all the dams and bridges and we'll take that off you because if you can't, um, you know, run this stuff yeah. yourself without pointing your finger at Canberra every time, you can, right. you know, go to hell, right, as far as I'm concerned. Now, before you worried about too much centralisation of control, I, I would replace the states with about 50 super regionals and I would de-push down power to local areas, Townsville, Cairns, um, Rockhampton, Mackay, Bundaberg, Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast, Ipswich, you know, Toowoomba in the west uh, and in a couple of uh, areas within Brisbane. Yep. Uh, because I can tell you what, mate, if you brought some of those COVID restrictions in and have to walk down the street as, the, as your local mayor um, and people are saying, why are you destroying my business? Why are you doing this? It would have been a lot harder to do. So just have two levels of government. Um, you know, we're 25 million people in this country. Great Britain, a country of 65 million people, doesn't have three levels of government. New Zealand doesn't have three levels of government. You know, I've had people contact me and say, oh, we're going to get rid of restrictions like Britain has or New Zealand has. And it's like, well, don't ask me. It's up to the states. And they'll, they'll get rid of them when it suits their political agenda. So, yep. um, yeah, so the idea that... You know, that's that's a very long conversation we, I'd yeah. like to have with you at another time. I guess my very brief thought is... Uh, I'd like to return to the Constitution. We've already turned, uh, yeah. torn it up and burned it. Um, and yeah, and had, to, yeah. to go further, um, uh, you know, I think there needs to be constitutional conventions, the like of which yes. David Flint is, is wanting to do. And, and I think part of the solution is absolutely what you said. We, we need many more states. Um, you know, every state should be divided at least four or five times. Um, and, and to go to 50 across the nation is probably not ridiculous. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not totally resistant to the, the spirit of what you're saying. I, I do worry, though, about starting from scratch with today's media climate. I, I think we would end up with a woke constitution, and I think it's much easier That's to restore point. what we started with than get something good from scratch. That, that's a fair point. And, and yeah, look, look, we'll always be up against that. Um, but, yeah, fair point, yeah. All right, let's move on to question number two. How do preferences work? How should be people? How should people be um, voting? Uh, what's the technical, nonpartisan way to actually use your lower house ballot and your upper house ballot for maximum democratic value and voice? Well, look in the lower house, uh, it's compulsory preferential, so you have to number every box or your vote's informal. Pretty easy. I'm going to let you make your own decision, other than put Labor and the Greens last. Um, that is, you know, where we're at. I, I am fearful of an Albanese government. Um, uh, you know, it, it's just going to get worse if those guys get in. I mean, mind you, you know, I'll be honest here, we've got to lift our game a lot. Um, and I've been very vocal about that. Um, but I am fearful of an Albanese government. But look, long story short, voting in the lower house, fill out all the boxes, Labor and Greens last, and, you know, vote how you, you know, preference whoever you want, first, second, third, fourth, whatever. Um, in the Senate, it's optional preferential, so you've only got to uh, fill out the top line or you can go, if you don't want to fill out the top line and you want to pick your own senators below the line, you've got to number 1 to 12 below the line. Um, uh, and, and that's it. You don't have to vote for everyone, um, you know, below the line or, or above the line. So, uh, you know, those votes will not come back to the major parties. And that is a key difference between the upper house and the lower house because of its optionality in the, in the upper house. Votes don't go, have to go back to the major parties. In the lower house, every party has to have a number put against them. So it's who you put last rather than who you put first that's going to really matter in most seats. There's a handful of seats where there's independents or a non-major party um, candidate um 
and you know, I don't think we've got oh well Bob, but you know, Bob's Bob, he'll probably get back in. I am not sure what's going on up there, but apart from Bob, I don't think there's any true independent you know, uh, uh, yeah, you know, well the counterpart is Bob. Um, but um up here it's not so much of a problem in Queensland, but obviously in other states there's there's a few more independents running around and then you've got the fake independents uh, or the teal so called teal independents that seem to think that um, hot air sinks. Um, that sort of logic just defies me. Um uh, that uh, you know, it could cause problems for the coalition in um, Sydney and places like that. Is there a risk because uh, the sixth senator elected in each state doesn't need a full quota? Is there a risk um, that people only doing the minimum uh, number of boxes above or beneath the line on the ballot will actually exhaust their votes and end up uh, being? Uh, not used for anybody's essentially favoring the greens by letting their natural uh eight nine ten twelve percent um vote uh which isn't a full quota but still um basically outnumber anybody else um because of the the lack of freedom voters ballots counting through and until the end yeah it's a good question dave so yeah you'll get leakage um and this is one of the issues with having so many minor parties on the right on the left, it's just Labor and the Greens pretty much. There's one or two other parties, uh, but Animal Justice Party picks up a few percent sometimes. But there's not as many boxes to fill out if you're voting on the left as what you are if you're voting on the right. So it's very important to make sure that you're disciplined in the card. Um, and, yeah, you know, obviously it also depends on who you put first anyway. Um, but, uh, look, there, there is that risk. But ultimately, you, you, you should make sure if you vote for, you know, there's about five or six parties that if you vote for in the first place, which I think most of your listeners will, that they will get distributed. Um, so uh, there's a risk, but it's only if you're not disciplined on the card. And, and that's you know one of the issues of having so many minor parties on the right versus the left. It's much easier to be disciplined if you're voting left, you know, on the left side of politics than it is on the right. Let's start surveying the parties. And so we'll start from the biggest right-wing party, which is your party, the Liberal Party. Yeah. Uh, what are the pros and what are the cons of of general party platform and policy um, and performance, the, the track record? Uh, why should somebody <sighs> who wants a right-wing government uh, vote for the Liberal Party in the mix? Well, well, look, I mean, let, let, let's put it this way. If you had 151 independents in the lower house, it would be very hard to form a government at all. So, you know... So, you know, look, look, and this is why I joined the major party um, uh, is that I felt is that I wanted to have a say um, in the running of the country. Uh, so it's one thing and, you know, you wouldn't, you know, if you follow me or you, you sort of, I, I, I do throw, you know, I, I tend to, you know, critic, I criticise my own party a lot. Um, but it is, at least if you're in that party, I, I can get some leverage out of the major party. Um uh, and, and I guess at some point you'll want enough numbers where you can become a legitimate force um, and, and, you, and you can control the outcome to an extent, um, whereas sometimes as independents you can get isolated and if you don't hold the balance of power, it's very hard to get anything done. So that is the advantage of, of being in a major party. Um, and, and I should add that, you know, I... I, I went with the Liberals because I believed in the values of the dignity and worth of every individual, you know, the importance of the family, 
um, you know, freedom of choice, freedom of conscience, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, with, uh, you know, reward for effort, et cetera. Um, I, I, you know, I don't think it's a secret to many of your listeners. I've had a few issues with our inability to uphold those values in the three years that I've been a senator, um, which I find very difficult um, because, you know, I, I, I believe that if we say we're going to do something and we have these values, we've got to be seen to fight for those values. We might not always win the argument, but sometimes I think it's better to lose the arguments but stand, stand on your values than, than cave in um, and, and slowly the goalposts uh, move further to the or not the goalposts, but the outcomes move further to the left or we appease the left um, in order to get an outcome that, you know, might be a short-term gain for a loss of long-term uh, integrity. So um, uh, that's, guess I am with, with the Liberal Party. Like, likewise, with the National Party, it's it's a very similar view. Um, you know, I myself, you know, six, son of a farmer, um, uh, you know, grew up in a small country town. So, you know, I, I do have a lot of, um, uh, you know, National Party outlook and, and, and thought processes within me, um, especially in regards to building infrastructure, you know, protecting the regions, um, getting more, being more productive. Um, but interestingly enough, I've also got quite a bit of blue-collar labour in me as well. So people in the outer metropolitan areas who get up out of bed every day, put their nose to the grindstone, you know, spend an hour in peak traffic going to and from work each you know, each way, um, you know, those guys, basically anyone that gets out of bed each day and um, puts their nose to the grindstone really and tries to stand up for themselves. So, um, you know, then there's One Nation. Um, I've got to know Pauline and Malcolm very well over the last three years. They, they stand up for their values. Uh, they fight very hard, um, you know, and, and they take on enormous, you know, they do a lot of work in the chamber and, and cop a lot of crap in the chamber from the left, especially the Greens. Um, and, and I admire their tenacity and, and, and the way that they stand up for their values. Um, so that, that's probably the three that I know, um, three parties that I know quite well. Um, obviously, Being, there's Clive. Uh, forgive me. What are some... Uh, let, let's talk about some specific policies that you admire in the One Nation platform. And are there any specific policies that concern you in the One Nation platform that voters should be fully aware of? Um, well, look, I haven't gone through their website to know what <clears throat> that policies are, but obviously, you know, both myself and One Nation are on the same page with mandates um, about the vaccine rollout. Um, you know, Malcolm does a very good job in estimates holding bureaucrats to account, um, mm. you know, we, we, you know, go hammer and tong, not just at the TGA and health departments, but also at, um, you know, the Bureau and, and pushing, you know, who, who try and, and the CSIRO who push their climate change agenda. Um, so, you know, in, in those regards, uh, and, and, you know, look, those guys fight hard for the little guy. Um, so uh, it's, you know, we're, we're on the same page there. Um, I, I, as for, I'm not really sure what issues I've got with their other policies. I don't know that I've got any issues um, but I haven't like sat there and sort of read 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 it um, you know line by line. But I certainly got on very well with them. Yeah. Now, what about uh, the Liberal Democrats? They've got some pretty radical policies out there: a forty percent tax-free threshold, a twenty percent flat tax rate, um, and, and a range of other uh, policies that I think are quite innovative, and some of them are quite impressive. Are there any of them that particularly impress you, or concern you um well look likewise i haven't read their 
you know, I don't actually know what their policies are in a great level of detail. I mean, I like the idea of a flat tax um, if it was broad-based um, uh, up to a certain level. Like, I'm uh, certainly for, um, yeah, yeah, you know, like depending on what the tax rate is. But, yeah, I'm not against the flat tax. Um, uh, provide, yeah, yeah, like I don't want to go too far down the tax. Level. It's got to be across, you know, broad-ranging so we don't have arbitrage between capital gains and, and Productive income and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, and, and foreign profits. Um, uh, um, I, I'm probably, and I've said this to, to the guys, some of the guys in the LDP. I, I'm more of a protectionist as, than a than I'm a libertarian. I, I mean, obviously, I've been fighting very hard for individual liberties over the last six months in regards to the mandates and vaccines and, and the discrimination. And so, I, 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 I am a very um, strong opponent. Uh, sorry, opponent, uh, supporter of. Um, uh, you know, individual choice and, and, and reliance, self-reliance and responsibilities and things like that. Um, I'm, I'd have to look, I mean, I, I'm, you know, uh, I'm not sure what their policy on abortion is. Uh, I'd have to have a closer look at that. Um, cause I'm, I, I, you know, uh, it's essentially a uh, conscience vote, um, up to the individuals, um, the libertarian, approach generally is small government, no opinion, no regulation. Um, Campbell Newman's specific opinion is that the Queensland laws are abominable um, and uh, he's com personally completely opposed to late-term abortion or even yeah. abortion of, of any fetus that's viable or even long before viability. However, technically, he's in favour of a mother's alleged right to kill her baby early on in pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I probably have issues there, um, and, and I'm not too sure they got issues on drugs. So, look, I, I don't know how how loose they are with drugs either. Um, yeah, know, if it, they definitely they're believe in uh, ending the war against drugs um, and um, calling it a complete failure and, and spending that money to solve the problem with another creative uh, policy approach. Um, but essentially, yeah, they're after deregulating that stuff. Yeah, I'm reluctant to deregulate. Um, you know, look, look and, th and this is the thing, you know, the government does have a purpose and that's to do the things that individuals can't do themselves. So build roads, bridges. I, I should I probably I should have used the word decriminalise. They, they probably want to regulate tax and and um, distribute drugs in a, in a more responsible way than is currently happening um, using the example of uh, the American experiment with prohibition of alcohol. Um, and uh, yeah, so in, and Campbell's definitely against drugs. His, um, his, you know, Vlad laws, which he now regrets as a libertarian and, and seeing how police have abused their powers in the last two years, um, he, he thinks they should have done without it. But he's definitely wanting to fight uh, the criminal enterprises around um, drugs. Um, so yeah, he's not soft on drugs, but uh, the, the libertarian approach is is one of letting people make decisions about recreational use for themselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, look. I, without sort of getting too far into it, I, I probably you know I, I'm sort of not necessarily against the laws that we have now. Um, you know, I wouldn't. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, confession. I do like beer. Um, uh, yeah. Um, so look, look, I, yeah, and, and that's there's a few things I think out there that I'd probably, um, you know, struggle to support. 
Uh, but a lot of other issues I probably do support. So, you know, and I mean, and, and of course, this is always the problem with parties is that, you know, they might be 15 or 20 policies, key policies. Right. You're going to have to go with the party that you agree with the most, but you won't still necessarily agree with 100% of everything. And that's one of the things I think today where, like, if anyone, you know, like, you just take the two major parties, you know, you've got a range of views across the spectrum, right? Um, and uh ultimately you've got to make a choice there's a, you know most outcomes are binary to a degree um so sometimes you do have to rein it in which is why you know when i came you know signed up data party i knew there were times i was going to have to rein things in don't get me wrong but i, I can't rein in what's happened with vaccine mandates i mean that is just outrageous um and and, and the the ignoring of vaccine injuries and the discrimination i mean that is just a complete transgression of civil liberties, um, and I'm not walking past that, right? And I didn't sign up. If I'd have known that the Liberal Party was going to help um, instigate some of these things, and even if we didn't do it directly, we've enabled the state premiers, you know, three years ago, I, I would have, you know, I wouldn't have signed up to this sort of stuff. So that's why I speak out on that, because to me that's a core value, as John Howard used to call them, that we have completely transgressed. Um, and, you know, and like many of your listeners are probably seeping over it, um, it's, you know, I'll still seep over it. I'll be seeping over it for a long time. Um, so, yeah, look, um, yeah, look, look, you know, but like all these things, I mean, I, I think on the majority of things, we probably have very similar outlooks with most of the other conservative parties. I have some concerns with the United Australia Party. I think maybe well, a handful. Let's let's be generous and say it's only a handful. They've got a, a lot of policies, but a handful of them are big government solutions, such as interfering in the mortgage pricing market, uh, interest rates. Uh, let's talk generally, though, but um, pros and cons of the United Australia Party uh, policy platform that you're aware of and that have come to your attention. Okay, well, we'll, we'll stick to that one. That, that, that's an interesting one, the whole, um, what was it, capping it at 3%? Was that it? Yeah. Yeah, for three years um, or five years. For, for, well, well, yeah, I mean, you, you know, I, I, look, I'll be honest here. I, I don't think the RBA should be an independent body that sets monetary policy full stop. I actually think that should be a government, the, gov, the role of the government. Interesting. Um, and a classic example of that is the RBA just came out yesterday and raised interest rates when two years ago they said they weren't going to raise interest rates until 2024. So a whole heap of people have gone out and borrowed money thinking that they were going to have lower interest rates to 2024. Um, and the RBA has gone and uh, reneged on that. So who's going to sack the RBA? Are they going to be held accountable? And why did the RBA just print $300 billion uh, to destroy the economy? And then they've just turned the spigot off uh, a couple of months ago when really they should have kept it on to build new infrastructure. So in, in terms of the government controlling money, monetary policy, I actually believe that should happen. I don't believe because you've got to have, there's got to be accountability, right? And when the RBA over the last decade have lowered interest rates, they've destroyed the, the savings of retirees. But who do the retirees take it out on at the election? Is mm. will be the government of the day. They don't get to vote the RBA in and out, do they? Mm. And mm. and then who has to make that money up when you know, say, you know, Bob Smith had a million dollars and he was getting five percent, fifty grand a year ten years ago, and now he's got you know a million dollars and getting one percent, ten thousand dollars a year. We've been got to pay the pension. I say we, the government, the taxpayer. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so the federal government, this idea that monetary policy and fiscal policy are completely different is complete rubbish. Um, so I, I wouldn't pitch it the way Clive has done because to say, you know, put price on money and say it's not going to change in five years is not the right thing to do. 
But we do have an issue, and I said this what this is what democracy is about. It's all about accountability. And one of the ways governments are being eroded uh, over the last 30 or 40 years are all these independent statutory authorities. And it sounds all very good because they're all supposedly independent. Well, let me tell you, there's nothing independent about these people. Everyone is driven by self-interest, right, in the first instance. Um, uh, and... Uh, so, you know, another great example, and we won't waste too much time on this because I think we're on the same page, ABC, Independent Statutory Authority, who holds them accountable? The Bureau of Meteorology, Virtually Independent Statutory Authority, who's going to hold them accountable, right? Um, the TGA, you know, when they banned ivermectin, I went straight to Greg Hunt, he said, it's not my decision, it's the TGA, they're independent. Um, you know, not on. So um, I think if I... You're, you know, you're making really good points, Jared. Yeah, Um it's not whether or not we should be setting the price of money fixed for the next three years. I don't think we should be doing that. But he is right to point out um, that we need to have a discussion about who runs this country, whether it's the elected people, and you mightn't like us, but, you know, every three years you get a chance to um, vote us out. And quite often, you know, I get messages telling me off or, you know, you get slagged off or whatever. Um, or you want unelected bureaucrats who aren't accountable um, uh, running the country. So... Monetary policy needs to come back in with the, yeah, uh, under the domain of uh, um, government. Um, and rather than fixing interest rates for three years, we've focused too long in this country on qualitative easing, i.e. the price of money. What we haven't focused on is the volume of money in the system. And when we uh, floated the dollar back in 1984, we gave up control over the volume of money in the system. We have allowed domestic banks to borrow money from offshore, and we've unregulated that completely. Now, I'll, I'll give you an example of the impact of that. In 1985, we had $8 billion in foreign debt. By 2008, we had $800 billion in foreign debt, right? Now, where do you think most of, Now, that, that was where the banks went out, and they borrowed money from offshore, and they went and invested that in Australia. Where do you think that $800 billion ended up going? China. No, it went into the house prices of Sydney and Melbourne. Right? Oh, we sorry. just inflated house prices from four times earnings to 13 times earnings. What did that do? That meant that the second parent had to go back to work. What did that do? That meant our kids got put into institutionalised childcare because the government won't pay your childcare unless you put them into institutional childcare controlled by, um, what's the name of that, uh, the union, that uh, 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 can't remember the union that runs it, but, you know, is, is a big free-for-all for the childcare lobby on the on the the, the conservative, you know, not on the conservative side, but on the private sector side, and the unions on the public sector side, right? So, but now we pay interest on $800 billion a year to live in the same houses. So we haven't built assets. All we've done is inflate assets, right? So we now to, we, we need to change the whole way in which we deal with monetary policy. And we need to bring all that um, expansion of volume back onshore. It needs to be controlled by the RBA. And when they issue new dollars or new notes, they need to secure against that against an asset, not spend it. So what at the moment happens is banks go and borrow money from offshore and they give it to people and the people either A, buy a house, which is okay because so that's an asset, but we don't want them inflating it too much, um, or B, they spend it, right? Well, that's not good. What we really want to do is build and fund that through domestic equity or domestic sovereign wealth, um, and, and that is via an infrastructure bank. So what I would do, um, instead of fi fixing interest rates for you know, 3% for five years, I would say I'm going to put in an infrastructure bank and I'm going to do two things. I'm going to build new infrastructure, dams, roads, power um, power stations, etc. number one, and I'm going to buy back all those sovereign infrastructure assets like power stations, airports and ports and railways that should be in 
sovereign um, should be owned by the Australian people and should be accountable because when the power power prices go through the roof, they don't line up outside of AGL and Macquarie Bank complaining about high power prices. They come and complain to the government about it because people expect government to deliver central services. They don't expect um, the private sector. They don't hold the private sector accountable. And this is another way how accountability has been eroded, not just mm. through unelected bureaucrats and independent statutory authorities, but also because these foreign companies or private companies take over our infrastructure assets and we can't vote them out. And, and many of these infrastructure assets are now owned by uh, super funds, both controlled by banks and by unions, yet again. So we are losing accountability of our sovereign wealth, and that has got to stop. Gee, that was uh, really interesting, and it made so much sense. Um, I'm vehemently opposed to the uh, 3% five-year policy, um, but you put a really good uh, insight into um, how we do solve that problem. Um, so, yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much. We probably need to do a whole episode on on uh, on some of the issues that, that you've raised here. Are there yeah, any other... I'll just interrupt you there, Dave. Look, that's actually why I ran for politics. Unfortunately, COVID has just completely kiboshed all that. Um, but once we get, you know, smashed this, uh, you know, hill called COVID and let people get back to work and, you know, try and help those who have been injured and stop the discrimination, we need to build... Like, like the way we're going to repay this trillion dollars of debt is to build. There's no other substitute for it. It's wealth for toil. It's in there. Our national anthem is the answer. Wealth wow. for Not for paper shuffling, not for changing interest mm. rates or anything like that. There is no substitute for hard work. If you went to a desert island, you got washed up in the desert island, would you either A, go to a bank or B, look to control the means of production? And of course, mm. you look to control the means of production because there is no bank, right? A bank is a figment, you know, something that's been created to pinch money out of people's pockets for doing nothing more than shuffling money around the economy. You need them, but you know, we shouldn't be. They shouldn't be the four biggest companies in Australia. Let's uh, let's do a uh, a public event forum, um, uh, even just lecture, uh, a couple of weeks after the election when the dust is all settled and um, and really spend some time uh, ventilating this issue. We might have you know a three hour night, um, but uh, yeah, if you're up for that, that would be uh, super exciting for me. No I'd worries. love to uh, make that happen. Um, are there any other? Pros and cons in the United Australia Party policy platform. Uh, look, um, I, I don't really know. Look, and I put in a plug for Craig Kelly uh, down in New South Wales. You know, when I my, did my first TV interview on Sky News um, with Tom Connell and Murray, what many years ago? Because like many years ago now, I got beat up over the. You know, I, I said the bomb were out of control and our public service was out of control. Um, you know, but I, but I held my ground, sort of thing. But you know, it was pretty hard when you're getting beat up on live TV. Uh, and the first person that called me was Craig Kelly. Um, and he said, stick to my guns. And he's a top bloke, Craig. And, I, and you know, yeah, he's a good man. Yeah, agreed. Uh, he's he's definitely a, uh, a credible, stable, known factor that uh, is worth supporting if you're a voter in the seat of Hughes. Um, that Yeah, please, please do. Uh, you know, th this party analysis that we're doing right now in this podcast series is useful, but not as useful as actually getting to know the candidates in your electorate, because they will vary within a party, uh, as you can see with Jared Rennick, uh, not your typical liberal. Um, and uh, and so that's why I'm against the slogan, put the majors last, because it's too simplistic and doesn't allow for the rare gems that you find in every party that deserve support uh, without any kind of partisan prejudice. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is, can I just sorry to interrupt you there, um, Dave? 
We're when we you. start getting held to account for our party, you know, and I've been put on the spot a few times about why I'm in the Liberal Party and all this sort of stuff, and it's like that then makes other people in the like I'll, I'll speak out against my own party, right? When I see, I call it as I see it, right? But there's other people in the party um, who won't do that. And so what you're doing is you're actually forcing them back into a corner, or, or, or you know, forcing them back into their box more because the media makes such a big thing out of if someone you know, has a different view to the the, the, the party message. And mm. and so in, in many ways, it's 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 making things worse. And um, we, we really, you know, you know, like, I mean, I, 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 I'm struggling at the moment because within the Liberal Party, there's, there's you know, I think there's up here in Queensland over 10,000 members. And, you know, 9,500 of those members are grassroots people who've been in the party for a long time. time. They feel very much like, you know, a lot of um, people in other minor parties, they're very frustrated. They get very frustrated when we don't uphold their values. Um, and then obviously I'll have some people that don't like me because I don't stick to the message. But I've also got to remember, and this is why, you know, I'm, I'm with the party at the moment, staying with the party, because they put me there. And they also, yeah, the members, the grassroots members need a voice because a lot of the time they feel let down by their elected representatives. Um, and now I may not represent the majority of the gra you know, grassroots members, but I know I definitely represent a large chunk of them. Um, and they, they need someone, you know, they want someone who's going to speak up for their values as well. Yeah, thank you for articulating that. I, I hear that as well. Um, people are like uh, just uh, very, very emotional and irrational um, uh, about party brands. Um, and and uh, I hear some minor candidates saying, well, you should just quit the party and, and fight um, under your own steam like the rest of us. And my thought is, well, then they won't be in Parliament like the rest of you. Um, yeah, they won't yeah. have a voice. They won't have influence. Um, and we'll have scratched an emotional itch and felt good about screaming at the storm, but we won't have changed a single thing. Uh, so my solution is vote for the candidate that deserves it, regardless of which party you're a member of. Donate to the candidate that deserves it, which, regardless of whichever um, party you're part of. Um, but join a party, and I think join the Liberal Party, because just like there was a long march through the institutions, this isn't going to be a single season, a single election solution. We might need a generation to save the institutions and re-infiltrate them back. And the best way we can do that is by adding to the grassroots and just making sure we're there when it counts at pre-selections. Uh, and supporting those people who are sensible and, and um, conservative and, dare I say, Christian, if they're somewhat authentic about it, but yeah. on the basis of their policies, not their party. It, it, you know, and that's dead right, Dave. And it comes back to the democracy and, and the dignity and worth of every individual again. It, it, it is, you know, it is the individual and the respect for the individual and, and it's what those individuals do because if we start, you know, putting everyone in the same box because of, a, you know, a brand, um, yeah, you're right. It, it is too simplistic, and uh, you know, um, it, it, it's look. You know, one, one of the good things is is going and, and ripping into my colleagues. Um, uh, you know, it, it's that is one thing that you know it, it's important to do because if they don't uh, hear a, a counter narrative within the party, then they get caught up in groupthink, often set by a minister that's been mm. set by a bureaucrat, bureaucrat that's that's you know. Uh, you know, guiding the minister. So, um, uh, and, and I'm, I get stuck into the ministers all the time. Uh, and, you know, I tell them they've got to think for themselves. They've got to listen to the grassroots members. They've got to listen to the people. 
um, and stop being controlled by the bureaucrats and dominated by the bureaucrats. Um, so, yeah, you know, I mean, mind you, though, notwithstanding I'm, you know, struggling, I do have my frustrations, um, you know, and especially over this, this last this last 12 months. I mean, the first 12 months of COVID was bad enough, but, um, you know, the mandates and the injuries and the discrimination is just out of control. Yeah, there's been a lot to be disappointed by, and uh, I, I hope um, the Liberal Party receives some strategic pruning uh, of some certain moderates so that uh, better fruit and flowers may regrow in the summer after a winter. Um, so I love that gardening metaphor. I think it's very useful for what needs to happen to the Liberal Party yeah, right now. Yeah, I, I thought you might start singing the rose. <laughs> you know, uh, no, it, it, I just think... Look, here's, here's my basic premise, is that it's melodramatic to say the worst thing that could happen uh, is an Albanese government. I actually think that left unchecked, 10 years from now, the Liberal Party of 10 years from now will be worse than an Albanese government. And so we need to check them now for the sake of our future. And, and that may mean we have to go through winter. Um, that may mean we have to suffer a government that we don't want. And it's inevitable anyway. It's not like Liberal government can be in government for the next century. Um, but if we take advantage of these cycles and, and swings, um, we can send a message that's heard definitively. Uh, and I believe the same thing happened um, with Malcolm Fraser, that the Liberal Party prior to Gough Whitlam had started chasing the centre instead of being right-wing, conservative, authentic, Liberal Party, uh, and and Malcolm Fraser brought it back and said, "Hey, why don't we differentiate like every business has to from its competitors, and why don't we just be right wing um, instead of chasing the middle and appeasing the ABC?" And uh, they went through a period of of growth and flourishing, which culminated in the Howard government. Um, so I think this is just another time again the Liberal Party needs to be reminded: you don't get to take right wing voters for granted. We will go elsewhere, and you will suffer opposition for a term or two. Yeah. I mean, look, it's interesting. I, I don't define the world between left and right. I, I define it between big and small. And, you know, my view, when you say appeal to the right, I, I say appeal to the people who the majority are, are conservative, they're hardworking and, and they're driven by the love for their family and the love for their country. And that's why I often call myself a protectionist. And, and I often take on the neoliberal uh, free market fascists within the party and I call them out to their face. And we have a good banter <laughs> over the fact that at the end of the day, and We've seen what happened with the, the extremists of that ideology. We've sold all our bloody infrastructure, um, and we've got no, you know, uh, you know, ability to manufacture anything anymore. You know, we've been ripped off by Macquarie or whoever owns the infrastructure. Um, so, uh, you know, my view is, you know, I want to protect my family. I want to protect my country. I want to protect our values and do that right thing. And, and protect the little guy because it comes back to this definition of democracy again. One is accountability, yes, but the other one is also the power of the individual and empower that individual to be the best person they can be. And that's, you know, I've, I've had a wonderful life. Um, I'm extremely grateful for the opportunities that this country and our forefathers have given us. Um, but I also know that I'm a better man for having my own family and the value of that family. Um, and how that's made me a better person. So, you know, I, I want to empower people to get good jobs, to have a happy family life and to be able to stand on their feet. And if we think like that and not so much in this left versus right or whatever, that, that little guy, empowering the little guy, not letting the big guy, you know, choke off um, individual liberties and civil liberties like we've seen 
uh, in the last two years, that's when we'll get the best outcomes. Yep. No, I think you. I think you're right. Speaking common sense. Uh, for um, those people watching, uh, if you're not a member of the Liberal Party, you won't be able to uh, help make sure that Senator Rennick is at the top of the ballot uh, for the Liberal Party at the next election. There may be him put in an unwinnable position, as we've seen with the Conservative this time, and a moderate protected at the top of the ballot. Um, unless you're in the party, you won't get a say on uh, Senator Rennick's um, career. And if you want him in for longer, and people like him, it's not a it's not a, a plug for Senator Rennick, it's just a plug for participation. Your voice needs to be there unless you want other people making bad decisions for you uh, in the absence of your voice. Uh, so be in there, this is how the system works, be part of it. Um, because the consequences are people like uh, Erica Betts and Amanda Stoker are out on the ear after this election well, we don't want, we can't give up on Amanda yet. I mean, we don't because if she loses, it means another Labor or Green. It's it's Amanda versus Green, probably, um, or, or a Labor candidate. And we want the result we got last time and I got up where we got, you know, three three uh, coalition, one nation and two two on the left. And, and um, it, that is very, very important because if yeah. Albanese gets in, we want to be able to block stuff in the Senate uh, and it will be much, much easier if Amanda's there than if she isn't, because if she's not there, that's another vote for Labor or the Greens, uh, yep. and that's going to make it harder for us to block stuff. I, I, you know, if we did lose the government, there is a chance that we can still control the balance of power with one nation, or not just the balance of power, we can actually block stuff um, in the Senate to stop uh, Rain Albanese. And so it is very important to make sure you get all four of those candidates in, the three coalition plus Pauline um, uh, yep. in. Um, and, and obviously, you don't think Campbell or Clive has a chance of beating the Green? Campbell, Campbell or Clive, you don't think their uh, well, cumulative well, flow of preferences look, look, has a chance of beating a, a, a lefty? To, to get, well, put it this way: I, I think Pauline's in front um, out of in terms of who will get the most votes because you know One Nation got a combined vote last time, including preferences of about fifteen and a half, sixteen percent. So they're over the fourteen point three, and I actually picked up one percent back off One Nation. Um, I was already in front, but it came back to me. So to get then a second minor party candidate up, you've done, you know, or, or to get the minor, to get two minor parties up, you've got to get a combined vote, and all the preferences will have to be very, you have to be disciplined in your preferences to get it to twenty eight percent. So of the combined vote, now whether or not you can get from fifteen percent to twenty eight percent in one election cycle. Uh, mind you, if any, if it was ever going to be an election, this would be the one where the dial was going to shift, given what's happened mm. with mandates and everything. That would be how it happened. So I, I'm not going to rule it out. And I know that the Palmer and the Liberal Dems are preferencing each other. Um, it's probably. I mean, I don't want. I hate. I hate giving predictions, and I do think that you know the, the, there may be a move on. Um, but that's what would have to happen. Um, the, the only way that Campbell would get in otherwise is if he got more votes than Pauline, um, which I don't think would happen with respect to Campbell. No, no nothing against you, Campbell. Um, I'm not saying it won't happen. Um, it's unlikely. But, you know, look, look it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the, the New South Wales Senate where the Lib Dems, I think, have always been traditionally a bit stronger. Um, uh, that They may push closer to 10%. Um, yeah. That'll be an interesting one to see how they go on there. There's a couple of Freedom Party guys in Victoria. Um, 
you know, it, it's going to be interesting. And South Australia could be one to watch for One Nation. I think they picked up 5% last time um, okay. down there. So, um, you know, it, it, it could be interesting. And, and look, and the other thing is if you've got anyone in Tasmania, if you know anyone in Tasmania, tell them this. Do not vote for Jackie Lambie because there is a real risk that if she gets someone else up, Jackie Lambie will control the balance of power in the Senate, and that yep. would be a nightmare. Um, okay. You know, you know uh, we, we just cannot have that um, happening. So, you know, Erica Betts, I, I know Eric, he's a great guy, um, could have gone a bit harder on the mandates. He did, he did go, to be fair to him, he did speak up quite a few times about it, but he didn't cross the floor that day, and he should have. Um, uh, um, but it would be much better to have Erica Betts in there or, or One Nation candidate than a Jackie Lambie um, senator because, yep. you know, if she's got the balance of power, I, I can't tell you how bad things will be. She oh, is oh. a raving mad authoritarian tyrant. Uh, her screaming sessions about forcing people to get jabbed um, are just unforgivable as a politician. That nobody can ever forget yeah, yeah. that. Because I didn't wear a mask in the Senate. And, and look, I, 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 I wear a mask on a plane for an hour. I mean, you take it off anyway when you're in there and eating, right? But I'm not walking around Parliament House 14 hours a day with a mask on. My throat, I get, like, I know that I'm inhaling particles. I can feel it coming down my throat. I'm not wearing it, right? Like, I'll take my chances with COVID before sucking in microplastics into my lungs, right? Um, but she had to have a rip, didn't she, you know? Um and I tell you what, like, no thanks. And and the thing is, and Clive, if you're listening to this, you put her in there, you'd better get her out of there. Um, but she's gone yep. from being one someone who stood up for the battlers and she's done the 180 where she's now being controlled by the Greens and the left. Yep, 100%. And uh, Topher Field, uh, also a great Senate candidate in Tasmania. Yep. yep. So uh, Erica Betts, Topher Field and One Nation candidate. Oh, Topher's running in Tasmania. Is For some reason, I thought he was in Victoria. My apologies. Yeah, right, okay. He lives in Victoria, but he's on the Tasmanian ballot. Right, okay. Um, they, they needed a good candidate, and Topher is a fantastic candidate. So Tasmanians, don't hold his Victorianism against you. He's going to be exactly who you need to replace the mad cut snake um currently uh, holding you all to well, ransom well, she's not up she's got another three years but all know, right her, her party yeah get rid of her party yeah. uh senator renick i really appreciate your uh, time today you can guess who he's voting for but it's only one vote the same as anyone else's when counting starts it's soon obvious that there's a big swing against the government the people have voted in one of the closest elections in Australia's history.